Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter. He has risen. risen Indeed. Indeed, he has risen. Amen. Well, it's a wonderful time. We celebrate Easter, and with Easter, it is a reminder that we live with an unshakable hope, an unconquerable hope. Stories told of a man, he had this ever-nagging wife, and they went to Jerusalem on a trip. And then during the trip, she unfortunately had passed away. And so the husband talked to the undertaker and uh, said, what what do I do with her? He says, well, you can have her buried in Jerusalem for $150, or you can send her back to the United States for $5,000. The guy thought about it. He says, well, we'll send her back to the United States for $5,000. The undertaker said, well, why would you want to do that? She could be buried here in the Holy Land for just $150. And the guy said, well, many, many years ago, there was a man who died. He was buried here. He was raised to life. I can't take that chance. I debated with my wife over and over whether I should tell that story or not. <laughs> so, but with Easter, we have an unshakable hope, don't we? So having said that, I want to pray, and we're going to get down to the final message in our series, Facing the Cross. We're going to look at the story of Mary Magdalene, who gives to us the message that we serve a God who flips the script and reverses the regrets of our deepest pain. So let's pray. Father, as we are here this morning celebrating this time of Jesus who has died, who is buried, who is resurrected, the greatest events within the history of the world, the greatest turning point upon which all of our lives are based, upon which all of our hopes are, are going to to pivot and to swing. Lord, I pray that as we go into your word today, as we celebrate who Jesus is, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in his name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Easter gives us an unshakable hope. And it's, it's because of Easter that the greatest problems and pains of our lives we know have an expiration date. Because of Easter, what that means is that your pain right now has an expiration date as you trust in Jesus Christ. Your suffering right now has an expiration date as you trust in Jesus Christ. Your regrets and your heartaches, your temptations have an expiration date is you trust in God's plan for your life. In the days of Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday, they're a pattern of 
of really what all of our lives are hinged and based. They're a pattern of how we deal with the deepest issues in the greatest circumstances within our lives. We think about Jesus on Friday, the pain and agony that he suffered. And then we think about Saturday, the doubt and the confusion of his disciples and their and his closest followers. But then on Sunday, we think about the, re- the hope and the joy and the victory that was experienced when they saw the risen Jesus. And folks, that's a pattern of our lives because throughout of our lives on a repeated basis, because we live in a broken, fallen world, we're going to have to answer three questions that the death, the burial, and the resurrection point to. And the first question is this, What do I do with my days of pain? When I am so disappointed, when I'm so hurt, when I'm so broken, what do I do with those dark hours? And the second question is this, is when we have those impacts of pain, those doubts, those difficulties, what do we do with the confusion that ensues? What do we do with the heartache? What do we do with those days of darkness? And then the third question is, How do we move into a path of hope and victory and change? How do we emerge from the tunnel of darkness into the place of light? And as we think about Easter, it gives us the message that our pain has an expiration date and that God flips the script on our deepest heartaches and he reverses the regret of even our deepest pains. So if you have your Bibles turned, we're going to go to John chapter 20, verse 1. If you're in a note-writing mood, the notes that have been handed out to you, first thing I want to see is the confusion at the tomb. The confusion. Verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Notice it's still dark. The sun, the dawn, will soon be rising. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She goes to the tomb. This tomb is, and it's important to realize, and you go back to John 19, verse 41, it was in a garden. This tomb was in a garden. That's going to become an important fact as we look at this story. Now, who is Mary Magdalene? She's pretty popular in our culture today. A lot of Theories have been spun about her, which aren't really based on Scripture, but the conjectures of people who want to write novels and make a lot of money from those theories. But I would say Mary was probably the most devoted follower of Jesus that he had. She is so significant. She was the last to leave the cross. And she was the first at the tomb on Sunday morning. In fact, as we're going to see in this story, it was Mary Magdalene who was the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus. And she was the first to proclaim to others that he had been risen, and that's a really big deal. And I don't think that there was anybody who loved and was more devoted to Jesus than Mary Magdalene. Now, who was she? What was her past? Well, Luke tells us that she was a woman who had seven demons. Now, I've talked to some people this week, and they've said, you know, Pastor, I've been wrestling with my demons. Usually that means like, you know, issues of the past that are still kind of haunting them. 
But when Mary had seven demons, we're talking about like the exorcist, okay? We're talking like Rosemary's baby. I mean, she had literal demons, and, and she had seven of them. And when the Bible uses the term seven or the number seven, it means completeness or fullness. And Mary Magdalene, before she met Jesus, she was a complete wreck. She was on the hot mess express. Her life was just a wreck. And we don't know about much about her, really. We don't know if she was abused. We don't know if she was abandoned. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't know if she was a recluse. The Bible does not tell us that. But we know that her life was a wreck. And if we saw people like Mary Magdalene today, she's the person or that's the person who knows the inside of a jail cell, who is very familiar with the bottom of a shot glass, is a person who's looking for love and fulfillment in the arms of a stranger, but it always seems to escape them. And Mary was a wreck. She was looking for something and didn't know how to find it. And she encounters Jesus. And with his words, he removes the demonic oppression. Her broken life is healed. She's put together, and she becomes the most devoted follower of Jesus, always with him in his journeys, his teachings, his miracles, and even supplying the needs for he and the, Jesus and the disciples. But the darkest day that she had under a demonic impression was not going to match the darkness that she encountered when she saw Jesus at that merciless, horrible form of torture known as the crucifixion. And there she saw her Savior, her life, her trust, everything she had hoped for being crucified and killed. And when we see her coming in verse 1 to the tomb, she doesn't have in mind that Jesus is resurrecting. All of her and the disciples have completely forgotten and been overshadowed by the darkness, the promise that Jesus made that he would rise again on the third day. And she's going there just like we would do to a funeral service. She wants to pay her respects to Jesus. She wants to say goodbye. She wants to say one last time how much she loved the Savior. But the darkness of the last three days is going to become even more dark because she thinks the body of Jesus has been stolen by a grave robber. So we go to verse 2. So says, she came running to Simon Peter and the disciple, one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Let me ask you, have you been at a place like Mary before? You've been looking for God, but you don't know where to find him? You look for God, but he seems like he is absent. And I want to contend to you this morning, when you're at that place and you're looking for God, but he doesn't seem to be there, it's probably because you're looking at the tomb of your past regrets rather than the resurrection of your future possibilities. You're looking back at the tomb of a past you can't change, a script that you can't flip, 
rather than the possibilities of a God who has unlimited power, who can take your story and bring transformation. And Mary, as she's running to the disciples, the regrets are going through her mind. And she's probably using that phrase that we use in the midst of our regrets when we're, down, when we're drowning in them. And it's the word, if only. She may have been thinking, if only we would not have come to Jerusalem during this time of trouble. If only we would have hidden Jesus away. If only there weren't all of these problems going on between the Jews and the Romans. If only Peter would have led a revolution and a revolt when he tried to kill that one Roman soldier. If only, if only. And Mary's looking back at her past and she wants to flip the script. She wants to reverse the story, make it going backwards, but she can't. And we do that too, don't we? We look at God and we want to reverse the past. If only I had not gone to the party that night. If only I had not spoken those careless words in anger. If only I told her I love you, or if only I hadn't. And if only, and if only, and if only keeps circulating through our minds. And God's not there, because it's a tomb that's been closed. In verse 3 it says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb and they go and they see that it's empty. And so Peter and I believe it's John, who's the disciple that Jesus loved, they return back home. In verse 9 and 10, as it says by way of the screens, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now folks, at this point of the story, I'm baffled because I would think that the lens of the camera at this point would want to go to Peter and John to go back to the disciples. Those are the guys that, that are going to write the scriptures. Those are the guys that are going to write the New Testament. Those are the guys that are going to be trained up to carry on the baton of the good news of Christ to the rest of the world. But they go home and the lens and the camera angle stays with Mary because she doesn't go home. She stays at the tomb because she has nowhere else to go because Jesus is her only home. But she stays there because God's got a bigger purpose. He's going to show us that no matter where we've been, we serve a God that can flip the script of our greatest heartache and can reverse the regrets of our deepest pain. Secondly, I want us to see, and by way of your notes, is clarity. Clarity begins to occur. Verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this he turned around she turned at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Let me insert a thought here. The change in your life occurs when you turn around. 
The change in my life and your life occurs when we turn around away from the tomb of the past that we can't change toward the resurrected Savior who has unlimited possibilities to reorient and to change our story in the future. But she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, these things to her. Now, folks, this is amazing. Jesus has died He has descended into hell. He has ripped the gates off of the hinges of hell. He has just defanged the power of all of the satanic powers of the universe. He has now in this moment switched our calendar from B.C. to A.D. He now has tens upon tens of thousands of angels who are at his beck and call to do his bidding. He has rose from the dead and he could speak to anyone. And he doesn't go to the disciples. He doesn't go to the Roman officials. He goes to this woman who had at one time seven demons, a broken past. And right now is at the place of heartache and depression and hopelessness and despair. Now, to be honest, I was studying this on Friday. And I'm looking at this. The angel, the garden, Mary, all of these factors. And I'm like, why is it all here? What does it mean? What is the significance? Brenda and I, we were up late into the night. I was studying this, trying to figure this out, trying to get some insight. It was about 12.40 a.m. I'm still working on this passage, and Brenda's folding the laundry Welcome to our world. It's a little strange. And I said to Brenda about 1240 a.m. Saturday morning after Friday night had passed, I said, I understand it. All of the pieces here are becoming clear to me. Because Jesus right now is not only going to flip the script for Mary and the disciples. He's not only going to reverse the regrets of those who knew him at the time, but he is flipping the script of the entire universe. He is writing, rewriting the story of how things went originally wrong from the very beginning in Genesis 3. Think about this. When humanity was plunged into rebellion and darkness and sin, because of our original appearance, Adam and Eve, where were they at? They were in a garden, weren't they? And when Jesus comes out of the tomb, conquering the power of sin and evil and death, and he arises out of that tomb, where was Jesus at? 
He was in a garden. When Adam and Eve were in their shame and nakedness after they had sinned and they realized that they had done wrong, it says that God was hanging out. He was present in the cool of the evening. And it was the evening because the world was about to ascend into darkness. And Jesus is hanging out here in the morning of the garden. Just as the sun is about to rise and the dawn is emerging and Jesus is hanging out because instead of the world merging into darkness, there is a dawn of new day, of new hope and new life. It's no longer the evening of Genesis 3. It's the morning of John 20. The angel was posted in Genesis 3 after the fall with a sword to keep people away from the tree of life and the presence of God. But now two angels are there and they're at the tomb and they're posted not to keep people away from the presence of God, but to point people to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has now connected us back to his presence. Eve, who in her innocence was deceived by the serpent. And she told her husband the lies that the devil had told is now replaced by Mary Magdalene, a woman who was not innocent, but was redeemed from corruption and has now heard the words of Jesus. And she will now go and tell the men, the disciples, the truth of the salvation and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And I look at this, and as God, Christ, comes out of the tomb, he is flipping the script of the entire universe. And he says, where there is darkness that's in the world, when you put your faith and your trust in me, I will bring you out of darkness into a new day of hope. Can anyone say amen? Well, let me tie a bow on this. What does this mean for us with our regrets, our pain, our deepest heartaches? Let me give you a couple of ways to put some shoe leather on it this morning. Number one, realize you can return from regret. You can return from regret. A game I enjoy playing I'm not very good at it, but I don't mind hacking around at it as the game of golf. I like to play golf. I'm not very good, and I don't like to play with a lot of people because I don't want a lot of people to know how bad I am. It was a, several Christmases ago, my, my wonderful sister-in-law, Peggy, she gave me this very special Christmas gift. She gave me a bunch of golf balls. And she had on those golf balls my name engraved on every one. Now, I'm going to tell you this. In all the years that I've had those golf balls, I have never used them. I've never used them. Now, I would like to say I've not used them because my sister-in-law is so important to me, and she is. And I'm so sentimental towards that gift that she gave to me. And there is some sentiment. But the real reason I don't use them is because of my vanity. You see, I don't want to leave the evidence on the golf course of how bad I hit the ball. I just don't want to do that. It's a vanity. You can pray for me about that. 
I, I have a strong belief, a strong conviction that there is one place that God does not answer prayers, and that's on the golf course, okay? I have never had a prayer answered on the golf course. I tend to follow the classic golfer instruction, swing, yell, regret, look for the ball, and repeat. And that's kind of my life on the golf course. And I just don't want to leave the evidence of my bad hits. I don't want the groundskeeper at the end of the day to collect all of the golf balls and have this big basket of golf balls. Half of them have my name on them, okay? Who is this Anthony Farrell? But you know what? I have a lot of regrets after a game of golf, but I keep playing when I have time. I keep swinging at it because golf is not a game of perfection, is it? Nobody plays a perfect game of golf. But even though they don't play a perfect game of golf, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people every day or every week at least go out and they hit the greens, they hit the tees, and they try again. And folks, our journey with Jesus is not a game about our perfection. It's not a game about living just right or getting it down just right or having everything together. The fact is, is that some days in our journey with Jesus, we're going to be close to par. Some days we might have a miracle where we get a hole in one. In other days, we just can't get out of the sand trap. And we're stuck and we take our golf bag and we throw it in the water, realizing that we had left our keys in the golf bag, okay? And we've got those days. And Jesus has died, he has resurrected, and he says, don't focus on your regrets, don't focus on what you do wrong, because as I'm going to flip the script, as I'm going to reverse your regrets, I'm going to show you what is important. And when we don't focus on the tomb of the past, but the resurrection of our future, we begin to see what's really important in our lives. When we stop living in the shadow and the rearview mirror of our regrets and focus towards the future of God's plan that he's provided through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have a whole new perspective. And when we experience his unconditional love and grace, we begin to learn what's important in life. And then we have less regrets in the process. Let me tell you some things when we focus on God's grace and his resurrection power that we won't regret. We won't regret overlooking the faults and the frustrations of our spouses because we serve a God who overlooks the faults of ourselves, don't we? We won't regret going to bed with a messy house if it meant that it was spending more time with friends or family. Because of God's grace, we learn the greater value of loving and spending time with people. We won't regret that one night or maybe that week where we let the kids get Happy Meals just so they could be happy and we could survive. We won't we'll, we'll lay those things aside in light of the bigger picture. We won't regret asking for forgiveness or forgiving those who ask us for forgiveness 
or forgiving those who have not asked us for forgiveness because we've experienced the freedom that comes from the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. We won't regret giving most people the benefit of the doubt who have failed us because God continues to work through our lives though we continue to be unworthy and though we have continued to fail him. We won't regret spending more time in prayer because we've accepted that we're flawed and that we're weak and that we're uncertain and that we have with failures and we have a greater dependence upon God. We won't regret walking with people through their suffering because God walks with us through our suffering. And we will never regret trusting Jesus more. Amen? Number two, realize your darkness has an expiration date. Your darkness has an expiration date. If Mary of the disciples, through the cross, through Saturday, and through the early morning of Easter Sunday, had have kept in their minds what Jesus said over and over and over and over, that on the third day I will rise, if they would have realized that this pain had an expiration date, they would have went from a place instead of devastation to just a place of extreme difficulty. It would have been difficult. And the difference between difficulty and devastation and the darkness of your life is whether your darkness has an expiration date. If your darkness has an expiration date, it's a difficult time because it's coming to an end. If it does not have an expiration date, then it is devastating because it's how you see the future of your life for the unforeseeable, ongoing activity of what's up ahead. And how you view the future determines the joy and the strength that you live for today. If you're working a job and you don't care for the job and you know at the end of the year you're getting paid $30,000, may not be worth it to you. You may just quit. But if you're doing the same job in the same place, the same time, one year, but at the end of that year you're going to get $300,000 or $3 million, you're going to be working with a whistle, okay? Because the future's looking different. And it changes your perception of the presence. And folks, when we realize in light of the resurrection, our pain has an expiration date when we turn from the tomb and we look towards Jesus. Injustices in our lives have an expiration date. No one has to teach a child to say the phrase, that's not fair. And we all experience things that aren't fair. And sometimes they're repeated, and sometimes we get used to them. But in light of the empty tomb, God has made the promise that injustices will be corrected and that he will deal with everything that has gone wrong. And we can live in hope, and we do not need to get used to the injustices that are in the world. But rather in love, we can fight against them. Addictions have an expiration date for those who trust in Christ. Your life may have been messed up, may have been ruined, may have been destroyed. Things around you because of addictions you have faced. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, 
He has shown you that as you look away from the past and towards the future, that he is going to lead you on a road to recovery. And as you go through the darkest times facing your personal demons, Jesus is right there because he has conquered every demon that you will ever face in your life. Death has an expiration date. Great pastor of several generations ago, Vance Havner, was there at the funeral with his wife. She was there in the casket. And a congregational parishioner came up to Vance Havner and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And Pastor Havner looked at her and said, I appreciate that, but she's not lost. I know where exactly to find her. And it's in the presence of Jesus. And that's where I'm going. Well, I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come forward. And if you need prayer this morning, we're going to have people up here toward the front. And they're willing to pray with you about small issues, big issues, whatever you're facing. But I want to invite us to stand as we read a final scripture of celebration. If we could have it by way of the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. Let's read this together, starting in verse 55. Together, please. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 